everyone. Just a quick message before this episode. We unfortunately had some recording issues while we were putting this together and didn't realize that until we had finished up. Um, So I've done my best to fix that up and hopefully it sounds pretty normal, but there is some static and just some quieter sections. Um, They're pretty brief, pretty minimal at this point, but I did just want to give you a heads up to... (laughs) know that you're getting something less good than what you usually do. (laughs) Thank you so much. Also, this is an unofficial Dragon Babies Election Day special. If you are a listener in the United States, please go vote tomorrow, November 6th. Now the episode. Hello. Hello. Before we get started, we just have a quick request for you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Send us your words. Your feelings, your thoughts, your pictures, emoji art. Yeah, draw us pictures. Um, We'd love if you drew us pictures. Oh, wait, we're getting a conflicting (laughs) message now because you can't draw a picture in a review, but you could try. You could draw a picture and then email it to us. Okay. Please read to us. Thank you. So we can find more listeners. Thank you. And now the episode. Hello. Hi. I'm Grace. And I am Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they're maybe even better for adults. Yes. This week, Thud by Terry Pratchett. Thud exclamation point. Thud. I thought I got the exclamation point in my (laughs) pronunciation. This is a very special episode because it is a listener request from faithful listener Julian. Thank you you, so much, Julian, for writing in and sharing your thoughts on Terry Pratchett. And we're so excited to be covering this book. So before we get into any details, we'll do our quick marketing breakdown discussing the cover and the publisher's choices for this book. Um, Madeline, would you like to... Take it away. Okay. Marketing breakdown. Uh, on the front of the book, we have, I mean, Terry Pratchett books have been published in so many editions. Yep. And there's a lot of different illustrators. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one that has handled a lot of his recent hardcover editions. Mm. Scott McCowan. And his other illustrators who we've discussed before are Josh Kirby and Paul Kidby. Which is the illustrator that does the fantastical kind of Voyage of the Bassett E, like classic, intense, complicated illustrations. Josh Kirby does those. Those are my favorite. And Paul Kidby does the oil painting style. I like those too. um, Like really refined feeling Mm -hmm. art. Um, And his cover is the one that I'm more familiar with of Thud, um, which is a painting of Sam Vimes standing on a Thud gameplay board Mm. with stone dwarves and trolls as game pieces, but like life size mm-hmm. toppled around him. It's yeah. really cool. I have my calendar somewhere in here, but I still haven't managed to unpack it. It has that picture in it. Oh, I think, I think I'd probably prefer that version. Mm-hmm. Uh, I totally understand the minimalist approach to illustrating the cover of a Terry Pratchett novel. It's more of a comic style and it looks like yeah. a comedic book. And all of his books are comedic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing is, I, just from my own standpoint, I love fantasy. Terry Pratchett is a just gift 
to humanity yeah. of a fantasy writer. So I really yeah. like to see the fantasy elements reflected. And mm-hmm. his books are so complicated and intense that I would also like to see that reflected on the cover. So that's my two cents. Um, this might pull in a different audience, which is good. Right. Probably a new audience, yeah. honestly, mm-hmm. because it doesn't immediately it doesn't smack fantasy. of fantasy. Yeah. yeah. So someone who might be biased against trying out something like fantasy. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I was going to say, Grace, you'll offend our listeners. But if you don't like fantasy, I don't know why you would be listening to our podcast. No, exactly. So. <laughs> if you're just like a hate listener yeah, if you, or something. <laughs> you just listen to get mad, then okay. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. You um, do you. Um, this cover we should actually describe is just a club about to hit. Yeah, it's, it's a club about to hit. Vimes, I think. Yeah, I mean, he looks way too young for how I imagined him. Yeah, but I it's think... It's just the top of his head. Yeah. Um, and it's very minimal. Just a watchman. It's like a line yeah. kind of in the form of like a... What what would you call those? Like the old style wood... Like they would carve a it. wood carving? Yeah. And then on the back, there's another... They put a smaller version of the club, which is kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> right, it is. That. <laughs> yeah, and the club says that on it. <laughs> yes. Um... And it says Terry Pratchett in big orange letters on the blue background. So, you you know who wrote it. Commander Sam Vimes of the Ankh-Morpork City Watch admits he may not be the sharpest knife in the cutlery drawer. He might not even be a spoon. But he's dogged and honest and he'll be damned if he lets anyone disturb his city's always tentative peace. And that includes a rabble-rousing dwarf from the sticks or deep beneath them who's been stirring up big trouble on the eve of the anniversary of one of Discworld's most infamous historical events. Centuries earlier, in a godsforsaken hellhole called Coombe Valley, a horde of trolls met a division of dwarves in bloody combat. Though nobody is quite sure why they fought or who actually won, hundreds of years on, each species still bears the cultural scars, and one views the other with simmering animosity and distrust. Lately, an influential dwarf, Grag Hamcrusher, has been fomenting unrest among Ankh-Morpork's more diminutive citizens with incendiary speeches. And it doesn't help matters when the pint-sized provocateur is discovered beaten to death with a troll club lying conveniently nearby. Vimes knows the well-being of his smoldering city depends on his ability to solve the Hamcrusher homicide without delay. Vimes' second most pressing responsibility, in fact, next to being home every evening at six sharp to read Where's My Cow to Young Sam. Whatever it takes to unstick this very sticky situation, Vimes will do it, even tolerate having a vampire in the watch. But there's more than one corpse waiting for him in the eerie summoning darkness of the vast labyrinthine mine network the dwarves have been excavating a secret beneath Ankh Morpork's streets. His <laughs> phrases from the book, like, directly yeah. are included. So I really appreciate that because... We've said this before, you can't imitate a Terry Pratchettism. Mm-hmm. You'll never be as good. Um, and that that's actually one of the best book jackets I think I've ever read. Yeah, and it, it was and amazing. It did, and usually I don't like it when they like go into summarizing the story, but it puts so much in there, mm-hmm. and it felt like it was really in the voice of Terry Pratchett instead of being obviously written by a marketing team. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was great. Yeah, a plus. Very difficult <laughs> really? to read. <laughs> I think it's always hard to summarize a Terry Pratchett book, but one like this that has threads of political, racial, 
personal, religious, historical, romantic, romantic, um, parental, familial, familial, (laughs) um, not just storylines, but hundreds of years old grudges and misunderstandings and pieces of misinformation and death even makes a cameo. So Thud is part of a series of books written by Terry Pratchett about the city watch of Ankh-Morpork. And there's a short story as well. This book was the eighth story published chronologically. So there's already been quite a bit of characterization from the other books. But Madeline actually hasn't read any of the others. And she feels, and we'll speak on this, that it still functions as a standalone work. Just because Terry Pratchett's such a good writer. Yeah. Um, so this book takes place in Ankh-Morpork. Sam Bimes is the commander of the watch, the city watch of Ankh-Morpork. He is trying to figure out what to do about simmering unhappinesses that are growing between the dwarves and the trolls residing within the city. A murder is discovered a murder of an important dwarf that took place deep underground and Sam becomes embroiled in trying to apprehend the culprit, figure out what the larger motivation for that dwarf's murder was. And then also at the same time, try to calm down the different groups of trolls and dwarves and humans and just everyone else living in the city who would be possibly like crushed by warfare breaking out between the two races of dwarves and trolls. And he's doing all that while also trying to be a good dad to his son while introducing new watch members of even more races, Mm -hmm. um, like a vampire specifically in this book. Um, and also trying to remain true to himself and who he is. Um, yeah, we'll talk more about Sam after the summary. So I'm, I'm not going to go into everything that happens, but suffice it to say, they end up in Coombe Valley, the site of a historical battle between dwarves and trolls. And forgot to mention it, but we do thoroughly spoil every book we cover, so about to do that. He discovers that... The battle actually was the site of a great peace being built between dwarves and trolls. And that's the secret. That's the secret that the dwarves have been trying to hide, that a specific group of dwarves has been trying to hide. These traditionalist dwarves who... Conservative dwarves. Conservative dwarves, they want to be able to enact violence against trolls and they also want to try to bring the dwarves back underground and away from the light and from the new ways that a lot of them have taken to Mm -hmm. and and meanwhile the troll king is actually trying to bring dwarves and trolls together yeah by playing thud which is a board game Thud, the titular thud is has a few meanings in the book. It's the sound that the club makes when it hits the dead dwarf's head, ham crusher's head. It is a game that is very popular among 
both dwarves and trolls and other races too, um, that features dwarves and trolls battling against one another, but is very tactical and actually a lot of dwarves and trolls like to play as their the race that they are not and it's acting as this sort of symbol of how to think like a different being than what you are and really putting yourself in someone else's shoes i mean there might be a historical cultural religious yeah. meaning like within the sound of crack or like the sound of something that crack did mm-hmm. yeah i think so crack is like a deity um, like to uh, the dwarves, the one who created all yeah. in the dwarves, mm-hmm. like religion and folklore, yeah. essentially. Um, and he, it says in this cube <laughs> that they've been trying to find that speaks some sort of secret history that the dwarves, the conservative dwarves, don't want anyone to hear and don't want them to know about. Because it will bring the dwarves and trolls together. Exactly. They're, along the way, everyone's thinking it has to do with this treasure that was maybe lost somewhere in Coombe Valley mm-hmm. at some time around the battle, which is also represented in this painting that goes missing at the beginning of the book. There's a lot of threads that make it clear that something is in the valley. And the, the secret is that it's, it's that the dwarves and trolls should be united and that they're ancestors not only made peace but died playing a game of thud together buried deep in this cave that they knew they weren't going to be able to get out of so sam and his watch and they get all family they figure it all out and they help to usher in a period of peace between dwarves and trolls and of rebuilding Coombe Valley and of turning that cave where the initial treaty was made into, into a, a museum and historical site. Yep. Some, some place that people can visit and learn more about why they shouldn't hate. Right. Instead of just being a part of the endless cycle of violence. And throughout it, a force called the Summoning Dark becomes like an ancient curse. Yeah, an ancient curse uh, burrows into Sam's brain, but doesn't manage to win out over him. Doesn't take his soul, which is what could have happened. Yeah, like basically comes really close yeah. to taking his soul. Um, and so he emerges like a little bit grayer, <laughs> but a little bit stronger, but which is really how Sam comes out of every right. City Watch book. And he is um, ultimately what saves him is his just sense of duty and having to do what's right and his love for his son and having to read his son his book, which is called Where's My Cow? Every day at 6 o'clock. At 6 p.m. So I think that's enough for now um, for anyone who hasn't read the book in a while or who... Definitely go read it Hasn't checked it out. Yeah. It's a really fast read. Revisit it before continuing to listen. So... Let's talk about our personal histories with this book. As we mentioned at the outset, this episode was a listener request from Julian. And Julian mentioned that we had said in our Mort episode that Pratchett doesn't really talk about race in that book. And that, there, I hope it's okay if I read a line from your email, Julian. You said a few hundred books later, he got a bit more serious and also still just as funny. And you said that that was your favorite book of his and that it's very clearly about race. Mm-hmm. And yeah hatred between races for reasons that in this book are not founded on anything. And I think he does a really good job of elucidating the reasons why it's stupid. 
Agreed. <laughs> so we, neither of us had read this book before, which mm-hmm. we'll sometimes do with our listener requests. So take a chance, write in if there's something you want us to cover. Honestly, and I love that because who doesn't want the chance to read a new book? Oh, yeah, especially by an author we already adore. adore. And yeah. my, I mean, I would I really call myself... I get a tattoo of death someday. <laughs> death with his cat. I would call myself a pretty... A fairly serious Pratchett fan. I've read a lot of his a books. Pratchettite. A, a, a Pratchett. Um, uh, yeah, a Pratchettite. I'm thinking Thank of you. Acolyte. I was like, Grace, are you really going to try to trump that? I thought it was fine. No, no, Pratchettite is great. Pratchettite. Um, but I haven't read them all. I haven't read them in order. It's been really all over the place. And when it comes to the City Watch books, I have read Guards, Guards, and Men at Arms and Nightwatch. So you started reading Pratchett when you were like ten. Yeah, when I was at it was camp. the first time we went to camp. Um, because we if had anyone, a Scottish counselor. If anyone wants to hear the story in full, check out our Mort episode. Yeah. Um, we also have an episode about we free men. So plenty of Pratchett to work through. <laughs> don't worry. We um, free men is a great book, and definitely more. I also think that it's. I don't know. It's more serious in some ways. But we're talking about this book I'm sorry. right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> so the watch books are kind of an entirely different beast. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam is a character that I really appreciate and who is definitely beloved by Pratchett, Pratchettites across the and Pratchett perts. Listeners, say experts. <laughs> if you if there is a word that we don't know or that you prefer to describe Terry Pratchett enthusiasts. Yeah, I'm sure there is one that Let I'm just know. not thinking of right now. Um, I haven't been on the Discworld subreddit quite enough. But anyway, Diskies. I think it's interesting for Madeline especially to jump into this book, not having read any other City Watch books, mm-hmm. and see that, it, like you said, it still stands totally alone and yeah. is completely strong. Um, yeah. And I think one of the most impressive things that Terry Pratchett does is create these immense, complex fabrics that are characterizations, city histories, um, you know, little tidbits of funny events here and there, Mm -hmm. and then be able to refer back to them, but not lose new readers um, or someone who yet doesn't have any of that background necessarily. And this is a bit of an aside, but it reminded me in a better way of, so I played The Witcher 3, and it's a fantastic game, but I've never played The Witcher 1 or 2, so I had to look up a ton of stuff on Wikipedia. I, I don't know if it's different if you played the other ones, but just because I kept being like, what? It is, felt confusing. What is going on? And yeah. also I wanted to know the background of the characters. And yeah, don't yell at me. I know that they put it all in their biographies, but I'm not going to sit there playing a video game, reading for hours. So anyways, Terry Pratchett, I didn't look anything up because... Not that there isn't more information that I could have known. It's just that I felt like he did. It was contained. Right. A fantastic job of bringing it to you in this book without feeling like you're missing something, basically. Absolutely. I'm especially happy to have read this book right now in our current um, dumpster on fire American political (laughs) and racial climate. The dumpster has melted. It's just oozing garbage. You're right. It's the fire. Smoldering. The fire has gone out. It's just a lot of really sticky, rancid ash at this point, and we're just trying to struggle our way through. 
I'm going to be releasing this just before election day, November 6th. Oh, yeah. If you are in the United States, vote. Please vote. And that's all I'll say about that right now. I was really happy to read this book because this came out in 2005. I think it feels prescient for, you know, no matter the year, um, no matter the country or the political climate, I have been thinking, so while reading this, I thought a lot about a terrible Netflix movie that came out a year ago um, called Bright. (laughs) 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 I'm not going to talk about it too much. I didn't watch it, but I watched the... Like Did you watch Lindy, Lindsay Ellis's yes. essay on it? Shout out to Lindsay Ellis. She's great. Absolutely <laughs> incredible. Um, it was a movie about a fantasy world in which different races are coexisting, um, but there's also hatred and prejudice between races. But it's handled with the subtlety <laughs> of... I, I can't even come up with a metaphor it's because it's so ham-fisted. Right. And the biggest problem is that the races are dropped into this world and tensions are created without any consideration for what the history actually was that led to them behaving so this totally way. So it totally misses the point of what racial bias and hatred is. Yes. And it yes. kind of seems to be weirdly endorsing it sometimes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, well, racism happens sometimes. Yeah. But if you choose not to let it happen, it just won't happen. That's yeah. how the world works. Anyways, And the, I mean, there's literally a line like where a Will Smith's character says fairy lives don't matter while he crushes a fairy to death. So that's all I have to say about that. Confusing messages. Which went over so badly with every viewer (laughs) that I think the screenwriter and director actually came out. We're like, that was ad-libbed. Will Smith made that up. That wasn't in the script. Are you kidding me? Just to distance themselves from it. That's why you don't use a giant star in your whatever Netflix special because they're going to ad-lib random crap. He's a Scientologist. Okay. So the reason I bring up Bright is because Terry Bradgett and Thud do everything right Mm. where that movie did everything wrong. And there are incredible similarities down to the point that I think the screenwriter has read Thud. a Terry Pratchett fan. Yeah. Because it's about dwarves and trolls and humans. Orcs and elves. Yeah. Yeah. There are other like more stereotypical fantasy races that are included. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's about two policemen, one of whom is a human and one of whom is an orc. Um, It is kind of a thud ripoff. It's weird. (laughs) Yeah. It's really weird. Um, But where that movie just like throws a bunch of characters and tropes into a blender and is like oh look at how look at this commentary wow basically just a soup of like detritus but not the good kind of detritus (laughs) like the troll in this book how do you say that is it detritus or detritus detritus is how the word is pronounced i'm not sure about the character i did part of it on an audiobook and he called him detritus sergeant detritus okay then that's probably correct so we'll call him detritus but i've never been able to pronounce that word anyway 
<laughs> yeah, there are always words like that. Just yeah. ones for the vault where it's like, no matter how much I read, speak, never, <laughs> or listen. We'll never learn that I'll word. Never know. <laughs> but as an avid reader, I think we all have yeah. words. Yeah, we all have mm-hmm. words like that. Um, anyway, with Thud, those races are introduced, but immediately have not just backstory They're and so reasoning behind the, the reasons that they have these prejudices against one another, specifically the dwarfs and trolls. But there are also, there's also um, discussion of vampires, werewolves, and humans too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, humans don't like vampires. And the way that they all interact. And, you know, creatures like Nobby, who is technically a human, but who really knows? <laughs> He's just a, yeah. It's a great running joke throughout the Watch series. That he needs papers to prove that he's a human. (laughs) And beyond that, we focus specifically on the identifiable historical event that led to the tensions escalating between the trolls and the dwarves. And we also just learn a lot about the way that they live their lives and the reasons why their movements through the city and through the earth would be at odds with one another. It Um, just, their, their racial tensions are framed in a manner that make it believable, relatable to our own world Mm -hmm. and teach a lesson about them in relation to our own world. And this is exactly the way that you should handle racial tensions in your fantasy book. Otherwise it's going to come off really badly. And I've seen a lot of botched efforts like that ranging from writers, creators being just underinformed and, and ignorant well-intentioned. and well-intentioned all the way to like being racist. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But thinking that they're the absolute best and they understand everyone right. perfectly. Yeah. There's all shades of that. And we also have really interesting commentary on race and fantasy. Some, some meta stuff as so often happens with ratchet books with characters like Carrot, who is a human but was raised by dwarves and understands dwarvish rituals and language and the way things work underground and is essentially biracial because he's human and dwarf, even though he's over six feet tall, who was raised as a dwarf. And then you have character a character like Detritus, who's interesting too because he is a troll working on the police force. And trolls are different from dwarves in Discworld or in Ankh-Morpork and the characters that we meet in that I I think part of it is the way that humans have treated them and what they've been given to deal with. Mm -hmm. Um, But from, uh, you know, the events of this book, like it sounds like trolls are the ones that are more often likely to be involved in some kind of violence well, but and th- we also meet the troll mafia so yeah but i mean <laughs> the, the dwarves are involved the dwarves in are terrifying violence too as well and human the thing is and it's the understanding that the trolls should be the violent ones like that's a prejudice that exactly. has been spread and that's become mm-hmm. a cycle of yep. prejudice and that cycle of prejudice is just a direct reflection of our own societies. Um, and through all this, we also have a fascinating protagonist, Sam Vimes, as our lens through which the reader's experiencing all of these biases in this world that are pre-existing. Because Sam Vimes has his own biases and he's constantly butting his head up against them. Yeah, which is really he's, fascinating he's to watch. towards being a better ally. He's always trying. Which is 
all that you can do. <laughs> and to see him have so many moments when he's like, oh, I don't want to deal with having a vampire on the watch. Like, what about this and this and this? And then he's like, no, you can't rely on those things. Like, you care about individuals. Like, Sam is a humanist, I think, when it yeah. comes down to and, it all. Uh, well, we should say a personist. Because in I'm this, sorry, yeah, in, in Discworld, no, but I'm, yeah. I'm saying it as our own concept right, of humanism. Right, because yeah. in Discworld, and I do think of them as racy, races, not species. Not species, right. Because they're all people, they're and all they, sentient they people. They coexist in the single city and society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, yeah. you can't call them species in the, because that makes it sound like a human versus a gorilla, you know, like mm-hmm. it's not like that. No. They're, they're all sentient people. Exactly. So that was all fascinating and was handled really well. And just the discussion of how different races are othered within the society, within Ankh-Morpork, which is already an incredibly diverse place. I think, as Sam says at one point, that the melting pot is getting lumpy again, um, just kind of as a reflection of these different cultures and races and different types of beings, different entities that are all trying to coexist. There's a great moment um, when we see when Sam Bimes has his own work that he needs to be doing on himself regarding his biases when he's talking to the Troll King, Mr. Shine, and Mr. Shine is implying that Bimes doesn't understand troll culture, and Sam says, oh, don't talk to me about the way I feel about trolls. Detritus is one of my best men. <laughs> There's this super awkward, horrible pause. And it's clear that Mr. Shine is like, I'm not even going to respond to all the problems with you saying that. Like, oh, my troll friend. I have a troll friend. So there's no way I can be racist against trolls. This is something that I think you do miss out on by not having read other watch books. Mm. But Sam Bimes has diversified the watch mm-hmm. in really broad ways. Yeah. Um, and it looks very different now than it, than it initially did. Um, and the fact that in ev- any given scene, there's a dwarf, a troll, a werewolf, and a vampire <laughs> who are all working alongside him to protect the city mm-hmm. is pretty cool. And I'm really glad that there's a lot of women in the watch too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, so there is there is some interesting gendering in this book um, mm-hmm. in the way that women are the way that some women are discussed. Um, I think that it's intriguing because you don't get that in a lot of Discworld books. Right. And I think it's yeah. more a commentary on the watch and the city Mm -hmm. um, than like the role of women in Discworld as a whole. Because if you come from reading a bunch of the witch books, right. There's, there's really no discussion of like how women should behave and how men Mm -hmm. should behave. I mean, the witches have like their, you know, witticisms about like different genders and things like that. But But it's definitely, there aren't expectations. It does seem like more of a societal, like Mm -hmm. cultural thing in Ankh Morpork, mm-hmm. um, and in uh, like conservative dwarvish society as well. Yes. Yeah, the dwarves are really interesting because you're not supposed to show that you're a woman. Yeah, uh, you're all, basically all supposed to be dwarf men, mm-hmm. and you're not supposed to let anyone know that you're a dwarf woman because that's like 
progressive and bad. <laughs> and then the conservative dwarves don't allow women in certain caves and chambers right, and things yeah. like that, whether uh-huh. they're dwarves or not. Um, it's so very interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, some unequal s- rights going on there. So <laughs> wrapping up this portion of our discussion, uh, just the portrayal of race and race and fantasy is always really interesting to both of us. So that really stuck out to us while reading this. But there's also so much other fun stuff, too. There's a great dad who works really hard to be there for his son. Good dad trope. Don't see enough of. Our books always have bad dad bad tropes. Dads. Oh, yeah. Bad dads. Um, That's a very common fantasy theme. Bad parents all around, yeah. or, you know, there's. The bad dads, some kind especially. Of bad dads, especially. Usually, or just absent dads. I mean, yeah, absent dads. Look at, look at the Legend of Zelda series. It's always, if any parent, it's always a grandma. <laughs> it is. Grandmas are the only relation that you can have. <laughs> Well, I guess you have as, a sister. As Link, like at least. Oh yeah. my God. Speaking of Zelda, we're already in our Zelda shout out. One per episode. We try to keep it, <laughs> try to limit it. But the part when Sam has the painting and he's trying to find the perfect spot where the um, painting was set so that they can find the cube and figure everything out. Did it remind you of a Zelda puzzle? It reminded like, me of, of Breath of the Wild and trying to find the memories oh, and positioning God. yourself again oh, and again and God. again. I spent hours on the castle, especially. The one on the castle was so hard for me. To find I could the memory not was. find it. And I just had, yeah, so many Right, and meanwhile, <laughs> you're getting groans. shot at by the guardians everywhere and dying over and over again. Yep. So as Madeline mentioned earlier, it's actually Sam's love for his son and deep need to be there for him at six o'clock to read him this book that saves him. Yes. Because at that point he is like barely alive. He actually has a near death experience. Wait, I would... (laughs) I'm going to try and find it so I can literally in the, the death is sitting in a little chair near wonderful. him reading. He turned his head wincing at the stab of pain and saw a small but brightly lit folding chair on the sand. A robed figure was reclining in it reading a book. A scythe was stuck in the sand beside it. A white skeletal hand turned a page. You'll be death then said Vimes after a while. Ah, Mr. Vimes, astute as ever, got it in one, said Death, (laughs) shutting the book on a finger to keep the place. I've seen you before. I have walked with you many times, Mr. Vimes. And this is it, is it? Has it never struck you that the concept of a written narrative is somewhat strange, (laughs) said Death. (laughs) It's one of the best lines in the book. You see, you are having a near-death experience, which inescapably means that I must undergo a near-vimes experience. Don't mind me. Carry on with whatever you were doing. I have a book. (laughs) I love just everything about that. The written narrative line really got me. Yeah, no, exactly. I was cracking up. So fantastic. And in times like these, I really appreciate a book that makes me laugh out loud when I'm sitting by myself and reading it. Yes. And... Pratchett always gets me. Mm-hmm. Yep. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah. So good dad, good on Sam. We love it. I really, even though it's absolutely absurd and, you know, he basically destroys part of the city to do it. I love the scene near the beginning of the book when he has to get home in time yeah. mm-hmm. and um, like hijacks carriages yeah. <laughs> and stops traffic. Well, Carrot does that technically. Mm-hmm. 
Um, speaking of carriage, we talk a little bit about the, oh, you know, we haven't discussed um, the YA-ness of it all. Oh, yeah, we thereof. should. It's a good segment to you. So something that I think we'll need to have like a special episode to just discuss at some point is that I'm totally losing any understanding of the concept of YA, <laughs> like literature being YA. Yeah, I'm just starting to feel like every book is for every age. Yeah. <laughs> I know that really undermines the very conceit of our podcast in some ways. And well, of course there's okay. like horror and stuff okay that you know, maybe shouldn't or be read like by someone young. Graphic sexual stuff. Like, yeah, yeah don't, exactly. don't throw that to the kitties. <laughs> no, but this book is such a YA book. Mm-hmm. It's perfect for young people who are just starting to gain an understanding really of the world so. to read. And Another reason, something else I wanted to mention during the race discussion is that it feels very important to find stories about police forces that are not racially biased or Mm. that are being aware of their biases and the way that they're treating individuals of other races, Mm -hmm. Um, especially today, but always. I know it's like especially in America. Yeah. Um, And I feel like. This is a really, really nice example for someone who's younger and maybe struggling to understand why horrific things are happening on a regular basis. Um, And there's explicit discussions of, you know, a dwarf monitoring Vimes while he's with another dwarf after his family has been almost almost killed by by another group of dwarves. Yeah, and basically... Come, he realizes why the guy wants to go in there with him. He's like, "Oh, you, you're monitoring me to make sure that I don't do anything." And he kind of his hackles get raised, and he's like, "Of course I wouldn't do anything." And the guy is just like, "I think it's just best for all if I'm in there. That way, no rumors will get started, and you won't do anything that could be spur of the moment, since Rove's just tried to murder your family." And there's also a few moments of. Vimes questioning himself because mm-hmm. um, he once he realizes that he had that curse going on and he gets terrified if he basically killed any dwarves himself. Well, because his mantra is who watches the watchman because it's supposed to be. And the, they throw the Latin in there too. Yeah, no, I, know, I thought you'd that. like the yeah. little Latin tidbits. I, I cracked up when he because I was listening to the pod uh, or the audio and he whipped that out in Latin. And then he said, who watches the watchman? And I was like, that's great. <laughs> well, for those of us who don't speak Latin, AKA most of us, it's, it's still enjoyable. But um, yeah, he, he questions whether he should be watching the watchman and like whether he should even be in that role. Um, and that is one reason why I think he's such a compelling commander of a police force is because he's always questioning himself and his preconceived notions, mm-hmm. which is really valuable. And that's how every figure of authority should be working and behaving. But seemingly none of them are. It was probably also interesting for you to spend time a lot of time in Ankh-Morpork because I don't know if you've read no, any other Discworld books. I haven't. Books that in take the city. place like all in Ankh-Morpork. Just one, yeah. it ones that like flash into it for parts mm-hmm. like the Death series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and it's uh, it's a wild place. <laughs> I really, um, I I love Terry Pratchett because there can be something very serious, very frightening, and foreboding, like a 
race riot about to occur in the middle of the city. Mixed in with this horrifying ancient curse monster. Mm -hmm. That everyone's terrified of. And the looming uh, um, anniversary of the Battle of Coombe Valley. Um, A lot of nasty things all swirled up together. And the members of the Watch just get the trolls and the dwarves super drunk on... um, it's scumble. Scum, it's scumble, yeah. Scumble. Um and um and then iron iron maker or whatever the other substance that they make um to get the trolls is hammer hammerhead or something like I that. I remembered scumble, Grace. You can't count on me to do everything. Oh my god. <laughs> and that it doesn't feel like a stupid or a hollow moment. Like no. that was a good it's way to handle yeah, that situation. Considering the constitutions of the dwarves and the trolls. So it's not like they were mm-hmm. running the risk of hurting anyone. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The trolls are made of rock. rock. <laughs> yeah. And the dwarves are very hardy. Very sturdy. Very yeah. hardy. They eat bread that is inedible to all others. Um, oh, we're getting into pretend food, which we'll do next. Um, but we were talking about the YA-ness of it all. Well, so, yeah, right, the last thing I was just going to say is I appreciate the creative uses of de-escalating yes. by the police force in this book, yeah. which happens many times over. And because it's a comedic fantasy novel, these kinds of things are possible. But I think it's also just good to think about de-escalation as a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Uh, when you're younger, when you're or, you know, at any age when you're learning something new, it never hurts to have at least part of your learning be throwing yourself all the way into the complicated deep end yeah. so you can absorb these topics and then start thinking about them instead of only yeah. going up the steps in a linear fashion. Exactly. And this is, is why, why it's YA. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Even though this isn't technically one of the project books that's classified as such. Um and yeah, I, I wish I, I wish I had made it to this one when I was younger, but it came out in 2005. So I was a junior in high school um, mm. and I was too busy being a teenager to get much reading done, unfortunately. So. Going to a concerts. Oh, yeah. Eating tacos. And donuts. <laughs> so many donuts. Um, so yeah, we really, again, thank you, Julian, for recommending this. Um loved reading it and you know what i'd love to do even more pretend food so i earmarked some of my pretend foodiest moments um just didn't earmark the latin though no because i don't care (laughs) (laughs) um but it looks like sorry mom i'm i put little earmarks in your book but your book already had earmarks so i figured it was okay um i uh, the first like good food moment we get is Vimes discussing his appropriate lunch, <laughs> which <laughs> just bacon is a BLT that consists only of bacon <laughs> and a slight hint of vegetables, um, and uh, that perfect lunch of his is kind of broken down throughout the book as his wife becomes aware that this is what he's eating all the time. Yeah, and when she gives him a BLT, there's. A lot of vegetables on it. A lot of L and T. Really, yeah, a lot of L and T. Whereas the one that Cheery makes for him, you have to lift up quite a lot of crispy bacon before you find the miserable skulking vegetables. You might never notice them at all. (laughs) 
Then we also had... You can't eat just bacon for lunch, guys. It's not good for you. No matter how much you want to. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I bookmarked uh, the scumble and big hammer. That's what it was called. Passage as well. Um, And it's strong beer mixed with scumble, which took down the dwarves. And then mixing various metallic salts produces a drink known as luglar or big hammer. And that's what they gave to the troll. Highly toxic. (laughs) And uh, Vetinari is very irritated because some of the flagstones in the plaza have been etched by it. (laughs) (laughs) Then we also have... One thing I love about Discworld is the amount of made-up food. Um, And, you know, I refer to pretend food just as an umbrella term for, like, food in fantasy novels, but a lot of it is derived from our world. But I love, yeah, I love the names for things. I love the different ingredients that go into them. And since it's such an expansive universe, it it's consistent. Like yeah. it'll like Scumble pops up all oh, the time. Yeah. Scumble in, is a plot point time and time yeah. again. Mm-hmm. Like it's how yeah. it's to refer to our Mort episode, it's how we realize that something's wrong with Mort when he's downing shot after shot of Scumble and that's when we realize that he's turning into death because it would have killed him otherwise. Yep. And it's so fun to think about what trolls would eat or what dwarves would mm-hmm. eat. And the conclusions that Terry Pratchett comes to are pretty fun. It's because of the never-ending story movie that we watched, where the, it just goes back and forth between the evil fog to the trolls' face. I keep thinking about that. Yeah, there's one... Oh, it goes one, back and forth like six times. There's one repeat... <laughs> smash cut in the never ending story film that is maddening like you will lose your mind if you pay close enough attention to it um unless you're a person who has like extreme warm nostalgia for the movie in which case we apologize yet again for offending you yeah i mean don't listen to that episode if you do yeah Um, but if you'd like to hear more about the cut go check it out um, then there's also Fimes's whore when Sybil packs the food for their trip. Hmm. And he says, was there fruit? <laughs> and there's quite a lot and vegetables. And Sam is just extolling the virtues of bacon for travel. But as Madeline said, you can't eat only bacon. You can't eat only bacon. <laughs> um, and the uh, my last... Uh, appreciative food moment was when Vimes is has his body has basically been destroyed he was thrown over underground waterfalls and through caves and he just figured out um well he, he just killed killed some bad dwarves and is trying to put a million political plot points together in his head and he says is there anything to eat it wasn't the most awe-inspired thing to say but it came from the stomach <laughs> with feeling <laughs> I, I understand fine. that. <laughs> and they have dwarf bread, but he says, I thought that was illegal to give to prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I do appreciate yeah, the jokes, jokes about dwarf bread. Um, were there any food moments that you enjoyed that I didn't mention? I like how... What's the name of the werewolf soldier? Angua. I like how Angua chases chickens 
She pays people to chase their tickets so she can catch them. And it's them. like a dark secret. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes out, she says, I pay them. Yeah. Like, I'm not doing anything wrong. Pretty great. Pretty great. Um, yeah. And also, there's also mention of Sally, the vampire, needing something to bite on when yeah. she's starting to get a little peckish. Ed, like yeah. Turn up her carrot. Yeah. Or when she tricks everyone. Um, and she has the person who plays a prank on her eat like an entire bulb of actual oh. garlic because she pretends to eat garlic. No, but she, she doesn't use garlic. She uses a turnip filled with chili seeds that she carved to look oh, like garlic. Oh, okay. Because she didn't want to have garlic actual anywhere near garlic her. She didn't want to touch oh, okay, it. Yeah, okay. So he actually eats something much worse. Yeah. <laughs> is why he's so uncomfortable but yeah don't play race-based pranks on people okay just don't just guys don't. just please don't. <laughs> please and i had an earmark that doesn't actually have to do with food but it can be a quick little magic systems discussion um because we haven't touched on that because there are there is a brief appearance of wizards in this book who allow the party to travel very quickly um, with flying coaches, mm-hmm. which everyone in the watch is extremely uncomfortable with. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of different kinds of magic in Discworld. Uh, it would take so long to even start going. Yeah, we're not so going to do that because this book isn't even really yeah, about magic. Yeah. But there's a great line from Vimes that touches on a lot of what we've discussed in talking about different worlds and books, magic systems too. That's why I don't like magic, Captain, because it's magic. You can't ask questions. It's magic. Mm. It doesn't explain anything. It's magic. You don't know where it comes from. It's magic. That's what I don't like about magic. It does everything by magic. I understand. Um, That's how I feel about math. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Mom. (laughs) Again, that's the second time I've said sorry, Mom, this episode. (laughs) I mean, it's similar and some ways it's it provides the structure that so much of our world is based upon well so. it's a way of defining the structure the structure isn't caused by math no but if we didn't have it we wouldn't be able to navigate it right. we wouldn't have I understand but this computer but that I, we'd be recording on right now okay <laughs> let's move on past just, the math discussion <laughs> i've done so i'd like to discuss badass lady meter we talked a little bit about some of the ladies earlier um i i love i love every every character mm-hmm. including all the female characters lady sybil is incredible yeah um angua is so great and her and carrot's love for one another is really adorable it's described as there as her heart beating faster whenever she's near him and his skipping a beat whenever he's near her by Mm -hmm. the vampire who can hear people's hearts i Um, like sally a lot sally is excellent Mm -hmm. i knew that you'd be into her because madeline has a um a love of vampires that's persisted for many years i love your (laughs) starry-eyed look as i say madeline loves vampires it was my, I think my very first vampire movie ever was Interview with a Vampire um, because I read Anne Rice. So I credit Anne Rice for sparking my love of vampires. Yeah, I remember you starting Anne Rice very young. I was very like, young. okay, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's very young. That's okay because otherwise, like, 
Twilight could have been my first vampire experience, and that would be bleak. You did like Twilight, though. I read the first two books, and by the time the movies came out, I was only enjoying it, ironically, Grace. Thank you very much. I just remember you giving me the first Twilight book and being like, you should read it. It's good. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's adorable. That's, I love that impression of young Madeline. <laughs> So yeah, lots of lots of great characters who are ladies. Um, Nobby's girlfriend Tawny is a very interesting character because she feels terrible about herself, even though she's so beautiful that she like stops traffic and frightens others. Yeah, so she thinks that she's um, hopelessly flawed, and that's why mm-hmm. people are afraid of her. Yeah. So she um, dates Nobby because Nobby's an idiot and And the only person who, who will talk to her asked her out. <laughs> yeah. And mm-hmm. in the end, um, they both realize that they're better without their relationship. Without one another. And Nobby yeah. returns to his ex who throws fish at him, yeah. but makes a great dish of <laughs> buttered clams. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I get it, Nobby. I, I get it. Food is very very important but maybe not important enough to put up with abuse so we'll leave that that there yeah um do you want to pick your baddest lady first or would you like me to and i want to say too i like i love angua for a lot of reasons i didn't mean to reduce her just to her relationship with carrot i was just thinking about it because we hadn't discussed romantic Mm -hmm. realism and angua is so wonderfully seething with her her own fury that she has to be a contained werewolf at all times and then mm-hmm. this vampire gets to stroll in and just like do everything perfectly and it all looks right. so easy and beautiful yeah. and she's meanwhile feeling like really hairy and she just wants to start like sniffing yeah. and biting things and that's how I feel on a regular no, basis and, and I'm not even a werewolf. Honestly I'm thinking about it and I was going to give it to Sally but I have to give it to Angua because everything's easier for Sally. Mm-hmm. So Ingo is the one that deserves badass lady. Uh, and, and I love the moments of the two of them naked in underground pits <laughs> covered in slime, like somewhat irritated with each other and also being, and Angua being like, could you just be a little less vampiric smelling? Yeah. And Sally being like, okay, could you just have a little less blood? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the two of them uh, climbing out of the floor at the strip club where Tawny works is mm-hmm. really incredible. Just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Really incredible. And then walking home in high heels. Yes. <laughs> that the strippers lend them. Um, so my rating for Angua is the ability to deny your insistent animalistic nature, which all of us have, in favor of higher and more evolved aspirations. Okay. <laughs> I think the real secret to the badass lady meter section is the day when we're rating on the same scale because mentally we approach it totally different ways, which is not to say that one is worse than the other. (laughs) My badass lady is Lady Sybil. She keeps it together in the most frazzling of times and is often the only calm one when everyone else is freaking out. She is responsible for giving us the dragons that were in this book, which we didn't even mention. We haven't had a book with dragons in it for way too long. Um, So I really appreciated that. Her baby dragons that she's rearing. And she 
um, summons them to take out the dwarf that is about to set fire to her and Fimes. And she, you know, she's, she's a mom. She's a society lady. She manages to get their portrait taken in the end against all of Vimes's. So blah, 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 blobbing. Like many women, she has to deal with all of the pressures that come with being a person. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, all the pressures that have to do with being a woman and what that means, like what that is defined by the society and culture. She's providing the, she's doing the emotional labor for the family. She's also making sure that everything continues to be taken care of in their lives while Vimes like just sleep deprives and batters himself again and again. Um, to the point where he's like pretty much helpless at doing anything by the end of the book because he's just so tired. Jelly brain. Um, what'd you say? Jelly brain. Jelly brain. <laughs> My diagnosis. And Sybil is the reason that they're even able to find the dwarves because she created a perfect replica of the Coombe Valley battle painting that went missing. The rascal. Mm-hmm. Um, when she was a, a student, yeah, when right. She was like a, a child, yeah, or a child, and uh, because she wanted to have a really interesting project, and she created multiple scales of it because the first one was too big for her teacher to accept it. Yeah, Sybil is wonderful, mm-hmm. um, and the pairing of her and Vimes is really interesting because I think they both bring out important things in one another. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and Vimes would not be able to. To, yeah, any his, his job himself, anything yeah. without her. So I rate Lady Sybil a one fifth replica of the most complex battle painting in Discworld history. See, we don't understand one another. I'm I'm thinking about it, and I I need yes, good. So I think that wraps up our discussion of Thud, unless there was anything else that you wanted to touch upon. Thud. Thud. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Unintentional Thud. No, I did it on purpose. Um, We loved reading this. Would really appreciate it. Again, Julian, thank you. Anyone else who has requests that you have already submitted or that you would like to submit, please send them in. As I've uh, said a few times, we're working our way through a long list. This request is from February, if that gives you any kind of idea. Um, also, for all the, <laughs> I just almost said Pratchett poops, which is another <laughs> name I just made up for fans. <laughs> I think that's worse than mine. Um, for everyone out there who's a Pratchett fan, we're actually going to be doing another Pratchett book soon as a holiday special oh, once yeah. we get into December. So I won't say which one it is, but I think you know. Probably figure um, it out. I think we talked about it last time, too, though we didn't actually yeah, do so it. We're looking forward to that just over a month away. Yeah, um, yeah. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you all. We would love to connect with you. You can find us on the internet on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com on Instagram at Dragon Babies Podcast, on Twitter at Dragon Babies Pod, or you can just shoot us an email directly at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. We will be back soon. We're trying our best to stay on our planned schedule, so there should be three more episodes released before the end of the year. And now we've said it, so we have to do it. I don't know how that works. <laughs> um, thanks so much for listening. I'm Grace. And I am Madeline. Until next time, goodbye.